This episode of the Trek Geeks Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks, and you'll find over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any MP3 player. Hi, this is Kat Roberts, Lieutenant Elizabeth Palmer on Star Trek Continues, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. This is the one and only Trek Geeks podcast. Welcome to episode 30, and thank you so much for downloading. I, as usual, am your co-host, Bill Smith. And joining me every episode is a man whose holiday traditions involve watching the Star Wars holiday special over and over and over for 24 straight hours. He's trying to make it home for Life Day, and George Lucas is trying to remove every facet of his existence. He's available on VHS. He's Dan Davidson. How are you, buddy? Every week I look forward to these, man. I am doing great. Thanks for being here, everyone. We are looking forward to this. We are not only the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, we are the biggest little show in a galaxy far, far away, I think you could say. That is very true. Uh, We should point out as we record this in the United States, it is Labor Day weekend. And that means it also was Force Friday today as we record this particular aspect lots of new star wars toys out there of course star wars sucks but that's neither here nor there but dan today we're going to break from our traditional format and uh, because it's a it's a holiday weekend we're going to try something a little different aren't we yes we are we're going to uh cross the streams so to speak bring a little ghostbusters uh reference in there uh, we had some stuff happen out in Vegas that made us really start thinking about some stuff, and we are actually going to talk Star Wars and Star Trek in the podcast today. We've got some uh, good friends joining us um, who are out in Vegas with us, and we can't wait to speak to them about uh, all the ideas and thoughts that uh, we have about uh, the two universes clashing, so to speak. Um, it was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to everyone hearing it. Uh, even the stuff that you have to uh, give to the conversation, Bill, was quite interesting for I, a change. I actually added things to the conversation? <laughs> you always add nothing but positive vibes to the conversation, my friend. I'm glad that you added that whole positive vibes part because I thought you were going to leave it at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> i got to give you kudos every once in a while. Just to keep me honest. Well, exactly. uh, today we actually have uh, two different facets to our Star Trek and Star Wars discussion. You know, many different podcasts take on this topic, and we thought we'd approach it a little differently, as you'll hear in the first part, where we talk about possible assimilation. And in the second part, we're going to talk about the recent WatchMojo.com video that was released to YouTube on their Star Trek versus Star Wars um, vote, I guess. Um 
well, how they came down on the topic. And we kind of dissect that and we talk about it amongst ourselves. Um, and we totally proved them wrong because they were terrible at that. Not even Judge Berman's decision on throwing out Tom Brady's suspension could make me happy about what we saw with that video. Wow. <laughs> that was out of nowhere. <laughs> Figured I'd throw that in. Most people know we're from New England. I'm sure Fark is loving it right now. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he is absolutely <laughs> loving it. Hey, Tom Brady's coming to town. Yay. <laughs> so... We hope you enjoyed the roundtable discussion we have coming up. It's, a, like we said, a bit of a, a departure. Um, but please stay tuned for episode 30. And could it happen? Okay, guys, before we get started with today's topic, I want to welcome two very special guests to the podcast today. Both of these gentlemen joined Bill and I for several days of fun out in Las Vegas at STLV last month. First up is our good friend Craig Ewing, and second is the one and only, thank God, Chris Mumphrey. Guys, welcome to the Trek Geeks podcast. We are really psyched that you could join us. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Uh, thank you, I think. I appreciate that intro, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we had a uh, we had a fantastic time out in Vegas for those days that we were out there, and um, the topic of today's discussion came about as a result of something that we were that we saw while we were eating breakfast out in Vegas one morning. We were delving into our awesome breakfast at the Hash House of Go Go, and uh, we were kind of situated near the corridor where everyone was heading down towards the convention hall. Uh, I looked up and saw the one and only Darth Vader walking down the corridor at one point, and uh, I found it a little amusing that someone would cosplay as a Star Wars character at a Trek convention, but hey, we're all friends, right? Darth then turned to the side, and it was not just Darth Vader. It was freaking assimilated by the Borg Darth Vader. Tubes and eye attachments and green lights. He had a prosthetic arm contraption holding his lightsaber. I think all four of us had like a total geekgasm moment uh, for a second. Uh, and as we continued our breakfast, the four of us started to discuss, could that actually happen? Could the Borg actually assimilate Darth Vader? Uh, what would come of the Force? What would happen with the dark side and the awesomeness that are <laughs> metachlorians? Actually, I'm sorry. I can't really say that with a straight face. Um, anyway. I thought we, were, we agreed we weren't going to bring that up. <laughs> I thought they I thought they were not even going to, you know, ever do that in the movie, but then they ruined it and did. Um, before we get into the discussion about could that happen, I do want to give a huge shout out to our new friend from STLV, uh, Brooke Wilkins, who did an amazing job with the actual creation of this costume. Her brother Rex actually wore it and contributed to the costume with the prosthetic arm. Uh, and if you saw any of the photos on Facebook of Borg Vader and the Starfleet Jedi, uh, she was the Bajoran in the black and red cloak with the blue lightsaber. Uh, everybody in the group looked awesome, and I believe they actually fared well in the official costume contest, didn't they, Bill? I believe that's correct, Dan. Yeah. Um, I've had some discussions with Brooke about what her thoughts are on the Borg assimilating Darth Vader, which we'll get into later on. But uh, since we got Craig and Chris on the air with us, we're going to delve right into it, boys. So uh, who wants to take the first shot? Could it happen? Um. Yeah, I, I certainly think it could happen. I, I I tend to say the Borg, when they assimilate somebody, they kill the the human being, so to speak, and it becomes more of a machine. So I say yes, absolutely. 
story? See, I, I think I come from a slightly different angle on this one. I have a hard time accepting the fact that Borg would actually be able to get close enough to assimilate either a Jedi or a Sith, given the fact that they are one with the Force and would use the the Force to repel any such on you know uh, onslaught of the Borg entity. So. I, you know, we had this discussion at breakfast, as you stated, and I think it really, it kind of opened up a whole can of worms, which I guess is what leads us here today. But, well, I mean, I guess I, I wonder how you quantify the force. Is it simply kinetic energy? And if that's the case, then why can't the Borg simply adapt to to absorb or dissipate that energy? Well, according to Han Solo, he defines it as a hokey religion. So, oh, wow, <laughs> wow, Bill, what do you think of that? Wow! First, I, um, first slam on Star Wars. We're only like two minutes into the actual conversation. And hokey <laughs> religions, apparently. Woohoo! We got a twofer. <laughs> I guess. Um, I guess my take on it is I, I kind of agree with part of what Chris says, and that is how are they going to ever get close enough to Vader? I'm going to specifically look at Vader as the as the topic. How can they get close enough to him? Because he has force powers, he can force repel and all that. The other thing that you guys just brought up is. What would the Borg do in trying to assimilate the Force, quote-unquote? If we go by what was said in uh, The Phantom Menace about the Metachlorians and that they're actually microscopic organisms that exist in all cells, theoretically the Borg could assimilate those, but that, that probably would open up another can of worms, so to speak. Um, but well, with that being said, it only will take one Borg to get close enough to him, and you got to wonder if at some point... Someone's going to get to him. And, and Dan, well, to your point about the – if you take into consideration the midichlorians, that prospect of a Borg assimilating somebody with that high of a concentration because the, the whole storyline that you know Anakin slash Darth Vader um, is the strongest you know, force-enabled uh, you know, um, human of the entire storyline – if they were able to get that close and assimilate somebody with that concentration of it, that prospect just scares the heck out of me. I mean, as far as the universe is concerned, because how do you defeat an entity like that if they have force powers? Well, and the other thing, too, is we know from the original Star Wars movie, and that's the one in 1977, thanks, that the force can also you know, play tricks with the feeble-minded and I guess the mm -hmm. real question for me is, is the collective of a feeble mind? Because they are very one and zero. So could Darth Vader essentially use the Jedi mind trick on the entire collective to get them to destroy themselves? Well, but in later Star Trek, I mean, you have the Borg Queen, who essentially is the mind of the hive. Yeah, it's and I think, I think we're kind of... I always felt the Borg were more of a machine intelligence and not life as as humans would define it, um, particularly as far as, you know, using the force on the weak-minded. I don't think he could. I think the, the, the Borg is more binary in thought, and they're either going to attack or not attack. And I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Um, one other thing I was thinking of, isn't Vader half Borg already? I was just going to say that. I mean, given the fact that he's, you know, completely been overhauled with cybernetics and, and implants himself, 
doesn't that in and of itself make him less desirable for the Borg to assimilate, given the fact that he is not a unique life form, given what they are themselves? I would say that could make it easier for them to assimilate him because they don't they can use the technological part of Vader to their advantage. True. Well, and like any cybernetic life form, neither the Borg nor Vader can exist without their technological implants. Correct. Very true. But there is a symbiotic relationship because they they've even delved into it into, you know, episodes like with Voyager where they tried to strip seven of nine of all of her board components and came to the realization that they couldn't do it. You know, if they did, they would be stripping away her very life itself. If they eliminated all of the Borg implants. One thing that I've uh, thought about since we brought this discussion up last month is do any of you guys think that if the Borg were to assimilate Vader, that they would feel because of their, uh, consciousness, uh, whether things are irrelevant or not, that they wouldn't even worry about the force aspect of it if they couldn't assimilate it, so to speak. Uh, would it just be, okay, Vader's just this guy, we're going to assimilate him, we're going to get his his knowledge of, of defenses and, and stuff like that for the Galactic Empire and work with that and not worry about the force? Do you think that the force is assimilatable, I guess is my question. I tend to think not, um, although I... I presume the board when presented with something something they couldn't assimilate they would attempt to exterminate i'm i'm inclined to agree on some level i mean you figure the borg nanoprobes are really what do the assimilation and they rewrite things at the cellular level it's entirely possible they could you know using a poor analogy you know wipe right over the the midichlorians and and they would become a non-event you know, just because somebody has the midichlorians doesn't mean they necessarily know how to use them, um, like, say, young Anakin. So I, I would think that perhaps it, it probably would be unassimilatable, which is a horrible word, but I'm going to use it anyway. But well, that, it, would only, that would only exist if they were assimilating somebody who did not have the ability to control the Force. You're talking about, if we're assimilating Darth Vader, someone who has already gained absolute control over the Force and knows how to use it where my my perspective on it is is that if you assimilate vader you're assimilating all of the qualities that he brings into the collective and as a unique being himself so yeah. i mean the the grand debate really lies in <laughs> in phantom menace when they bring up the topic of the midichlorians i mean it's yeah i think if you accept the explanation of the force being a product of the metachlorians that simply becomes another particle that the board figure out and, and adapt and suddenly you've got an entire board collective that knows how to use the force let me ask this question based on just the force itself but kind of split down a different road you got the the dark side and 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 the the jedi side do you think there's a difference in the borg's mind uh, does it just depend on the person who's being assimilated? And if they were to assimilate, let's say, Luke, would it be a different outcome of that assimilation as opposed to if Darth Vader was assimilated? You know, I I think that you kind of have to take a step back from that question for just a moment and think about, you know, 
are we assimilating a Jedi or are we assimilating a Sith? And the problem with it is, is that there are very fundamental differences in the belief structures of both. And, you know, not, not to, not to make light of it. I mean, you know, the whole premise of the force is that the Jedi order is founded in the religious beliefs of the force, that all living things are connected by the force. Whereas the Sith use the force to shape and change their existing or their surroundings to their passions. And what, what I think it begs the question of, you know, to, to kind of take the long way around. So to answer your question, Dan is, you know, if you assimilate the Jedi first, I think you were assimilating the good qualities of that species. Yet you could argue the Borg haven't really shown a humanitarian side to their nature. Whereas if they assimilate a Sith, which interestingly enough, I mean, there's tens of thousands of Jedis before they're eliminated, and there's only two Sith. You know, so I mean, statistically, the odds that you're looking at you can get to two different Sith versus tens of thousands of Jedi. I would say you have a greater likelihood of assimilating the Jedi than you would necessarily a Sith, just based on the pure numbers of it alone. Well, and I think that you know, going back to the you know. Would the would the assimilated person, whether Jedi, Jedi or Sith, would the Borg assume those qualities? And my answer is no, because the Borg have assimilated countless species, whether you know Klingons or Ferengis or humans or Romulans or or Vulcans, <laughs> and they don't care about the humanity of it all. Right. You know, it, when they when they assimilated the Ferengi, they didn't go after the Ferengi in terms of oh, okay, now we're all, now the Borg are completely driven by profit. That, you're right. I mean, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, but they did take things like from the Klingon and they learned how to engage better in battle, for example. So I do believe that they're assimilating the parts of each cultural uh, group that gives them a unique advantage and perpetuates their species. Do we, uh, Are we I mean, glad to I, open up this debate? <laughs> Do, do we know that they easy for you to say? Do we know that they assimilated Klingon battle tactics? Because I don't recall that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm assuming maybe that's a that's a poor thing to do, but yeah, I think the the Borg's tactic is just we will assimilate you, and that that's yeah. that's all they know because that's why yeah. they keep suffering defeat after defeat. You know, they keep sending one cube, you know, <laughs> to to fight the humans, and they always send one cube to fight the humans. And that cube always right. gets destroyed. If they had sent two cubes, <laughs> we probably all would have been conquered by now. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, and in, and that was a topic of our discussion at, at breakfast again. I mean, you know, why do you repeatedly send one cube after another when you have the ability to send an onslaught? And, and you know, yeah. No, that's I totally just, agree. That's just something that I never understood. And Bill and I have gotten into countless discussions about this. And that was one of my problems with, with some of the writing for Voyager and, and even some of the, some of the next generation and, and movies. You would have thought they would have learned from the first episode that one cube isn't going to handle it. So now that they have, oh my God, now they've got these trans warp hubs that they can get anywhere in the galaxy in an instant. Why not send 20? To right outside of Earth's orbit, then the situation has there's no defense. That's something that is for another topic. But um, yeah, I mean, if you bring it back full circle, Dan, and they've they've assimilated, you know, Vader at this point, 
and then they send one cube, we might have a problem. Yeah. But well, if you, you know, if you assimilate or if you send the, 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 you know, multiple cubes before assimilation, it's the same scenario. I think it's a lose-lose for the Federation, you know. That actually brings up a good point, something I want to read uh, to everyone. Um, as we discussed uh, at the beginning of the show, Brooke um, is the person who actually thought of this idea of the costume. And I was actually talking with her on, on Instant Messenger one day and wanted to get her idea of what she thought could happen. And she brought up something that that really uh, surprised me and, and made me think a lot. I'm going to read uh, directly from her quote. She said, quote, the Borg would assimilate and gain force powers – Yes, those stupid metachlorians, because I made an offhanded comment about them. But maybe you can't replicate them, so the Borg would only have limited force powers. But Darth would be only partially assimilated, sort of like Janeway, Tuvok, or Balana. He would then utterly wipe out the Borg cube he was on and would set up his own collective to which there would then be epic battles with. Sort of like a what we saw in the next generation with that the the, the separation of the uh, of the Borg. I thought that was really interesting. I like that take on it a lot. That's a that's a good take. I mean the the thing that it brings to my mind though is is how do you explain situations like with Locutus? Because in in the Borg collective, Locutus was an individual within the collective. Right, to be the spokesperson for the collective, Correct. as it were. So are we to assume that when Picard was assimilated, he was given a name for only that purpose? Yes, I think so. I believe so, yes. Okay. So that humanity would could have somebody to relate to, which right. you know strikes me as kind of against character for the Borg. Because the Borg don't care about humanity. Right. <laughs> they care about assimilating. You know, if they want Earth, they're just going to go take it. Um, so that's I, – I still am of the notion that I, I don't think that Vader could be assimilated. I didn't really chime in on this earlier, but um, I, I think that he would force push or force crush or he would use his mightier-than-everybody-else force powers to cause the Borg to implode somehow. I don't know that I think Vader is able to be assimilated, at least, you know, not in his prime. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, and, you know, we, we were kind of joking about this and saying, you know, uh, if, if he went after the Jedi first, I mean, it's the same theory. I mean, if the Borg go after the Jedi, you've got tens of thousands of Jedis at the height of the order. How do you, I mean, my first question is is how do you how do you you know assimilate tens of thousands of jedis but then you come back to the fact that you had one sith give a command and the entire jedi order gets wiped out That's you true. know right because at that point they were spread very thin and so you pick and choose your battles and i i don't believe that the borg collective is I hate to use the word stupid, but I, I I don't believe that they're dumb. I don't believe they're stupid by any means. I believe that there is, you know, with the understanding of the Borg Queen, there is a much higher thought that's gone into the collective and what drives them. I, I still so, think I still think they're very one and zero, though. They're not too. dumb, but they're very black and white, and they don't yeah. see the forest for the trees. They see right. I must assimilate this thing. And if that thing is not available, then they don't get to assimilate it and they move on to the next thing. But there were several episodes, even in TNG, 
where and you know on um, on several occasions where they delve into Borg, who either for whatever reason became separated from the collective and developed an individuality. Hugh. You, you had Hugh. <laughs> you had the episode, and I, the name escapes me now. Um, there was the episode where uh, an away team beamed down onto a station, and it was the one where Data um, experienced his first emotional reaction, and it was anger. He liked it. Yeah, it was right. because of his brother. Right, part it was because one. of his brother. Yep. So, I mean, you know, there's there's that angle of it to explore as well. I mean, the the, the the whole, the very idea of assimilating in the first place is so complicated because they're seeking out life forms that will add their uniqueness to their collective, right? You know, and and I, I'm kind of with you on this point, Bill. That I find it hard to believe that the Borg could actually assimilate Vader, but at the same time, you get a hold of just one Jedi, you know, right? And the Jedi don't use the force in anger and i really believe you'd have to be angry to repel that many borg you know <laughs> so. or or it be at least as talented as yoda you know that that yeah. skilled that wise that ancient you know to have your your abilities within the force honed over you know presumably millennia right Hey, guys, speaking of collective, I'm going to uh, just say that we lost uh, one of our drones, Craig. He kind of dropped off a few minutes ago. We're in the process of trying to uh, get him back on um, so we can get him more involved in the conversation. Uh, we didn't tell him to be quiet. He kind of just dropped off. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back on in just a second. He's in um, his uh, regeneration alcove, Dan. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> Bill, you got the good wow. segues, man. I really yeah. like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Glad I could add something, Mr. Executive Producer. <laughs> no, no, it's all you, man. I'm just a lemming. So it, my other problem with you know the 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 Borg and and assimilation, and one of the reasons why I think that they could at least assimilate the Death Star, which I think would be really cool to have a cube and a sphere, like um, a lot, <laughs> like a lot, is because the Death Star was taken out by a two meter access port. Clearly, they didn't put a lot of design into this. Well. Okay, sorry, I missed a bit there. There he is. Hey, hey Craig's back. <laughs> Damn Time Warner. Um, I'd have more language. But this is a family-friendly show, isn't it? Uh, unless we tag uh, it as explicit. I I think, as far as absorbing the Death Star, that I think is the one area where Star Wars is going to have. That that's the one area where the Borg don't cut it against the Star War Star Wars universe. You think so? I do. I do, and because I, I think it's simply a matter of overpowering whatever shields they've got. They've got – the Death Star has has the beam that can blow up the planet. I don't think it's going to have any trouble with the Borg Sphere. I couldn't agree more. That's exactly the thought I well, was having. Well, let me throw this in, and it's something that was never actually discussed or shown in the movies – doesn't the Borg just have to make sure that they're in an orbit that they're opposite the cutting beam from the Death Star? <laughs> yeah. Well, Thank the Borg, you. Case closed. Well, you know. The, cutting I, beam was I, the wrong I, way to uh, say. Planet killer. I would say the Death Star can just shoot through whatever planet they're hiding behind. <laughs> no, what I mean is why not the cube just come up behind the, the Death Star on the other side from where the uh, weapon is fired from? True, yeah, but if, yeah, if, that uh, makes sense. 
And the unlike- other thing too, though, Dan, is that it's it, my understanding of it is, and again, uh, you know, we're we're talking two different universes here, but the the Death Star is the size of a small moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it the is. Borg sphere is comparable in size to other starships. Well, much larger than starships. Yeah, it is, but it's still. Uh, it's still not a small moon. No. True, but the Borg ship can also move at warp drive, and the Death Star right. m- maybe moves at impulse, which is why they're trying to keep building them in other spots. Right. Well, you have to assume the Death Star can, can travel from star system to star system. Just I not mean, very fast. They didn't, they didn't build it in Alderaan. Right. They didn't build it in that system. Right. So it's... But considering it, yeah, took, I, it took a while to get out from behind the moon to, to blow Alderaan to bits... I'm assuming yeah. that it doesn't move very fast. Yeah, I would assume they have their their faster than light drive and then their 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 impulse engine, so to speak, and probably very slow when they're on impulse, because just because it's a sheer boatload of mass they're driving around. Um, but yeah, it's Dan. You do bring up a good question that that can the the Death Star turn fast enough to target um, a Borg sphere that might be spiraling in behind it. Yeah, that would be that'd be a question of maneuverability. Would be an interesting, interesting. Uh, I also I also think that, and and again, I think Chris mentioned this a moment ago. Um, two different universes. Of course, we're not we're not worrying about the one is in the twenty fourth century and one is a long time ago. But I find it interesting that Borg technology. You brought up shields. There's no shields in the Star Wars universe pretty much or they're very they're very rarely discussed and they don't seem to really have very strong shields if any well, well i mean remember they, millennium they, falcon has shields um star destroyers have shields uh, you, you know you're, you know what you're right because i know that in the awesome x-wing and uh uh tie fighter video games there are shields on those ships so my i'll i'll take that i'll give that point to you but yeah. I, yeah, I think and this is where, yeah, again, we're getting into two different universes with very different technologies available. And I think it's it's, it's interesting that the technologies that are available in each universe are are highly reflective of the technologies would have, that were available to us at the time that, that each series was made. Um, but if you were to imagine comparable technology, which they both seem to be um, – I got to give the edge to the Death Star just based on sheer sheer firepower. Well, and it's got death in the name. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I'll say this though to counter argue that point. Yeah, it's got one hell of a strong uh, weapon to destroy a planet, but they don't have a lot in addition to that. I mean, they got some turrets here and there on it, but they don't. I think other than that one weapon, their weaponry is kind of. Kind of low on the on the scale, based on what the Federation or the Borg, Romulans, Cardassians, Klingons might bring at them. Yeah, and I guess it kind of to me it brings up the question: How do turbo lasers compare to phasers? Lasers fire the lasers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in Star in Star Trek, you see a lot of the you know modulate the frequencies. Um, you see a lot of that in, in Star Wars. No, it's just fire or don't fire. It's, it's shields are up or they're down. Nobody nobody tinkers with that. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that maybe that they're an earlier version of the technology where they haven't figured that out yet. Um, or you could also argue that's a, a later version of the technology where they no longer need to, to modulate or, uh, or adapt. 
Yeah, but in in Star Wars, the one thing I always questioned was is whenever they went after the Imperial Star Destroyers or any of the uh, Imperial ships for that matter, the very first thing you'd see them, the Rebels attack, would be the shield generators on board these vessels. Oh, now, yes. Yep. So my, my, uh, my problem with it is, is that, well, wouldn't you think the strongest point on the ship for the shields would be the shield generator? <laughs> yeah, I always found it amusing that they put the shield generators on the surface of the ship. It's and, a trap! Right? <laughs> it's a trap! It's a trap! <laughs> Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to listeners of the Trek Geeks podcast so you can check out their service. You can select your free audiobook from over 150,000 titles in Audible's library. And if you're interested in Star Trek titles, you might even check out one of these currently available on audible.com. Imzadi, Spectre, The Return, Sarek, and my favorite, The Eugenics Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan Noonien Singh. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks for your free audiobook. And we would like to thank audible.com for sponsoring our episode. Well, speaking of traps, um, earlier this week, I know it was a great segue. Um, Earlier this week, WatchMojo.com released a YouTube video with their assessment of the whole Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. And they had five criteria on which they voted. Uh, Spaceships, scope of universe, sci-fi themes, special effects, and heroes and villains. And I thought it might be interesting to take each one of those uh, one by one and, and to perhaps talk about them. And we're already talking about spaceships. So we've talked about the Star Wars ships. We've talked about some of the Federation ships. As we go around the dais here today and and, and quantify which one has the better one, Craig, which, you, which franchise would you say has better spaceships? The spaceships, I got to give the edge to, uh, to Star Trek. Um, Star Wars, the spaceships seem to be very utilitarian. Um, huge single direction engines. Um, not a whole lot of maneuverability. I mean, unless you're in a fighter. Um, yeah, I, I got to give the edge to, uh, to Trek there. Uh, sorry, Chris. Chris, I'm looking at Chris and saying, Craig, Chris, what about you, sir? Uh, I would agree. I think that the edge goes to um, the technological advances in the Star Trek universe. I think that each species tends to have a lot more uh, to offer in terms of just the unilateral direction in which the Star Wars universe goes. And, uh, I, I, you know, it just seems to me that the, the, the Trek universe has a lot more going for it with regards to which is better. And Dan, I think I know your answer already, but let's just make it official. Star Wars rocks. <laughs> no, I, I think it's unanimous that it's it's Star Trek. And, and just you think Star Wars and say, okay, name a ship in Star Wars. And you're going to go, okay, X-Wing or Death Star or Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon. Yeah. You get, so you're going to have those three. And, and I wouldn't even really call the Death Star a ship. Slave one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See? Okay. See, I'm surprised you didn't go with Star Wars. But um, when you talk Trek, you can talk about a whole bunch of different ships. You've got the Enterprise A through whatever you want to go through if you want to get into the Enterprise J from, from one specific episode. But you've got Klingon Bird of Prey. You've got uh, Romulan Warbirds. You've got different 
a lot of different ones to choose from that all have their uniqueness to them. Um, I think also one thing that stands out for me is for the majority of ships in Star Wars, and I think Craig pointed this out, they're gigantic. They're, they're huge, easy targets for the enemy because they're so large, and they only seem to go in one direction, and that's straight, at least from what we've seen in the movies. Um, sure, the fighters are fast and, and have some maneuverability, like Craig said, but i got to give it to Star Trek. WatchMojo.com actually gave Star Wars the edge based on the Millennium Falcon alone, which I thought was kind of odd because they can barely keep that thing together at any given time. I thought the same exact thing when I saw that. (laughs) Chewie screaming up in the corner because things are short now. Yeah. That was a cue for you, Chris. Uh, You know, I was going to say, I think you guys are all a little bit off the mark too, because not one of you mentioned Jabba the Hutt sand barge. So, I mean, you know, the the party barge. I, uh, I sit corrected. What can I say? You know, Um, I think that shows the true technological advancement, you know, and, and, and I will, Add the caveat here, obviously, you know, we're all very big fans of, of Trek. I myself, I'm not going to speak for everybody else. I'm also a huge fan of the Star Wars universe. And, you know, it's I, – I tried to look at it when, when I watched that video this week. I looked at it from a very, you know, simple perspective that, you know, when you're comparing one galaxy to the other, ship versus ship, you know, the Star Trek universe – has one massive thing over every other ship that's in the Star Wars universe for me, and that was absolute mobility. And and I, you know, that factor alone would give me, you know, or would put my vote in the column for Star Star Trek. I'm getting my my stars all confused here. Well, my stars are not in alignment. That's for sure. They're definitely not. So You're moving, a star in your own right. That's true. Moving on to the second. Uh, voting point they use scope of universe so how well is the universe fleshed out um you know is it three-dimensional of sorts for storytelling um dan we'll start with you which of the two franchises do you think has better scope of universe for the viewer i may be taking this in the wrong way but i i would have to again go with with trek and and the reason i do that is look at all the different shows that have different aspects of the galaxy uh, you got the different quadrants you've got multitudes of of solar systems that they all seem i mean there's uh, no one i don't even think dr trek could name every planet that's been talked about in every series in every episode in the trek universe you don't know um, that what's that <laughs> you don't know that he just might he yeah, I'll tell you, i can't i'll say that i know i can't um and with star wars there's a handful. I mean, and and I will say one thing. I want to. I want to. I want to go off of what Chris said. I'm a gigantic Star Wars fan as well uh, as everyone here today. Trek obviously is far and away my favorite, but but um, it's it's something that I have a tremendous passion for. But still, I can't I can't give that vote to Star Wars either, just based on what we've seen. in now here, let's go this way. Let me stop for a second. We've only got six movies to look at the Star Wars universe in where we have hundreds and hundreds of episodes and movies for Star Trek to compare it against. That alone should give the edge to Star Trek just because of the scope of what we've been able to see over 50 years' time. I think you forget about the Star Wars Christmas special. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't forget the Lego editions. The Lego editions. There's the Clone Wars cartoon on Cartoon Network. There's uh, there's another one on right now, isn't there? Is that official canon? Yeah. Um, it's there, there's yes, also it's a, Star Wars Rebels. It's actually all canon in in the Lucas verse. Okay, he said it was all canon, but I'm sure Disney will undo that. Uh, Craig, how about you, sir? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the same way. I, I think Trek has you see so much more, so many different cultures. Um, in the Star Wars universe, you have Imperial and Empire, and they really don't deal with uh, specific subcultures. Um, I mean, you've got your your humans, and then they have aliens, but they don't really talk about. Them. So it's it's pretty much just a very black and white um, approach to a, a a universe of cultures. Don't forget the Trade Federation, though, man. They are something else. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Chris, how about you? Misa, no happy. You forgot about the Gungan. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I I agree, but I I agree with you know both Dan and Craig, but with one caveat, I think that like, and I can't believe I'm actually going to agree with Dan on this point, but um, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Dan on anything. But the the truth of the matter is, is that mm-hmm. when you have as many episodes and as many movies and books and just everything that's in the Star Trek universe, and you compare that to there's there's the movies, the six movies, soon to be seven. Then you have, you know, the animated series, you know, uh, the Clone Wars. You have uh, Star Wars Rebels, and then you've got some books thrown in there. You you look at both of them on the scale. <laughs> I mean, the star, the the Star uh, Trek universe is just monumentally larger. And like Craig said, you know, they don't really delve into the specifics of each cultural alien, you know, alien uh, culture, I should say. And, you know, whereas you've got, like Craig said, again, you've got the Empire versus the Rebellion. In, in Star Trek, that all comes into play. And each culture is dealt with on an individual basis. And each culture is, you know, deeply explained, in my opinion. So again, I, I, I have to go with Star Trek and that in the depth of the universe. I, I did want to butt in and make one point real quick. In yeah. that, that point was the Star Wars, the movies existed to tell a story, whereas Star Trek focused a lot more around reflecting on social issues of the time. And I think that does drive a lot of the the cultural diversity and inclusion that you see in Star Trek that you don't see in Star Wars. Yep. And I think WatchMojo agrees with all of you because they said that Star Trek had the better scope of universe. And I think for many of those same issues that you guys point out, let's move on to number three of their criteria, which was science fiction themes. Which one tells better science fiction stories? And I guess, Chris, since we ended with you last time, we'll start with you this time. See, for me, this is a tough one. Um, I think that both franchises, if you will, both universes have an amazing sci-fi quality. Um, one of the things that I love about Star Wars is that you do have the the epic battle of good versus evil. It's that continuum of, you know, right versus wrong, and you know, you you just have it, it, it's just that age-old classic battle for me. But then over on the Star Trek side, you have the ideal of the of the utopian society within the Federation. And, you know, trying to 
spread that philosophy through the, the diplomatic relations, you know, reaching out and first contact and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, I mean, I really love the idea of, you know, of Roddenberry's original idea. If we all got along, can you just imagine what we could accomplish? And, and for me, I, I guess that, you know, I would give the slightest of edges over to the Star Trek universe, given the fact that I like the idea of what can we do to be better as a society versus having to constantly fight the battle of good versus evil. And I'd rather focus my time on doing good and, and having everybody rise up to a better level as opposed to constantly fighting about it and, and never agreeing on how to get there. You know what I mean? Wow, so, you should co-host a podcast. Well, you know. Like, there's this great one called Trek Geeks. I, I yeah, know the guy who hosts that. co-host from what I hear. I know. Oh, might? <laughs> Speaking of which, oh, Mr. Co-host, where do nope, you come gonna, down? I want to actually defer this one to last. Uh, well, you can't because I'm going in a particular order. Where do you come down? The reason I wanted to defer is because I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm not definitive. I don't have a side for this one. I really cannot agree that it's Star Trek wins or Star Wars wins. Um, I have to say it's split for this one for me. Okay. That's a valid yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, Craig, Old how about choice. you? Um, I got to give the edge to Star Wars on this one. Um, purely because the whole Luke, I am your father is, is probably one of the most well-known recognizable phrases in the history of cinema. And if Khan had been uh, Kirk's father, maybe they would have had a little more to the story, but it's, yeah, I get where Dan's coming from. There's a lot of good stories on the Trek side, but the epicness of the four, five, and six episodes takes it over the top for me. But, but Craig, he's Lex's father. Khan is Lex's father. How, <laughs> could, how could he possibly be Kirk's father? I mean, <laughs> I hate I'm you. I'm going to say this right now. Chris just won the award for the night on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> It's just like being in Vegas, everybody. It really is. Well, Mojo.com said that Star Trek actually had better science fiction themes overall. And they cite uh, among any, you know, among many of the, the reasons, uh, a lot of the same ones Chris did, um, the manner in which the story is told, the overarching science fiction themes, as opposed to necessarily the sometimes matinee quality of Star Wars. But it was one of only two categories that Trek won in this poll. Um, so... We'll move on to Dan's favorite, which is special effects. And Dan, we're going to save you for last on this one. Okay. Um, because we know this one, you might have something to say about. A little which, bit. Which, um, <laughs> which franchise has better special effects? And Craig, we'll start with you. Um, I think this one's, this one's easier for me because I, I tend to ignore the prequels in the Star Wars universe. Um, so Trek for me, tends to have better special effects. Um, and, I, you know, they get that edge because they were... The original series aside, the technology to make those special effects was better at the time each was filmed. So, yeah, I, I'll give uh, Trek the, the edge there. 
Well, interesting. I I, I honestly thought you were going to go Star Wars. Um, well, it's again, it, it's because I the prequels I've watched. I will probably never watch again. Um, maybe two or three, just for some of the fight scenes. Sure. Um, but yeah, the uh, I remember once hearing that uh, George Lucas said he filmed four, five, and six first because he had to. Nobody would ever watch one, two, and three without four, five, and six having already been made. <laughs> I think he was onto something there. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Chris, what about you, good sir? Which franchise do you think has better special effects, Star Trek or Star Wars? Now, I, I thought about this particular one quite a bit, and here's, here's what, I'm, what I'm thinking. And, and there's, there's a, it's a short train of thought, but follow me on this for a second. You've got some pretty cool stuff that comes out of the Star Wars universe. And it, it, let's admit it, there's not one person in this conversation right now that would not want to be first in line if they started handing out lightsabers. Okay? I mean, every single one of us would say, hell yeah, give me one of those. All right? But if you stop and think about the Star Trek universe, here's where I had a hard time separating um, the, the science fiction and special effects from reality. Because if you look at historically from the very beginning of the Star Trek universe, you know, back when Roddenberry first launched the show back in the 60s, how much of the stuff do they talk about in that show has eventually become something grounded in today's reality? I mean, you know, the, the inspiration and the motivation that it gave to an entire generation of scientists and doctorates in space exploration, astronauts, you name it. We've had a ton of technological advancements that were literally plucked right off the screen of the Star Trek universe. So I had a hard time saying which one has the better special effects. I mean, if, if I'm talking purely based on the shows themselves, you know, Star Wars had a massive uphill battle in this particular um, category for me because, you know, if we're comparing – the technology that they had available to them when they made the films back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s you know, versus the technology that has been used throughout the entire lifespan of all the different series of, of Star Trek, Star Trek clearly has it blown away from a special effects standpoint. Um, but, but again, I go back to that damn lightsaber. There's not one of us here that wouldn't want to have one of those things. So, you know. And, and, but yet I don't know that that's ever going to be something that we see in reality versus a lot of the cool things that have come out of Star Trek. So are you planning on running for office? Because I mean, you've said a whole lot of something, but I don't think you've really given me an answer. Well, a lot like Kanye, I've decided I'm going to announce my presidency in 2020. Um, No. And and, I mean, my answer to this would be, Bill, I would have to give the edge to uh, clearly Star Trek from a special effects standpoint, but again, I think that all has to do with the time in which it was all created. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, it's cinematically. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, well, the time has come, Dan. Um, Does the gentleman from Maine have any comments on this particular (laughs) point of discussion? Just one. Yeah. I don't know what the hell Watch Mojo was doing with even bringing up 
this kind of a question for this debate. And the reason I say that is because of one of the answers they gave, which I'm going to be blunt, I thought was completely idiotic. They made the comparison that the 1960s special effects weren't as good as the effects for some of the Star Wars movies. That's because it was the 1960s, for God's sake. You're going to have a difference. They didn't have the technology that they had even 10, 15 years later or however many years later when they made the first Star Wars. It is a completely non-event to try to bring up, to try to separate the two franchises, in my opinion. One of the other mistakes that they made, and I was literally yelling at my phone because I was watching it on my phone at the time, is they talk about the special effects. Well, if you've been watching the Star Trek reboots, the, the effects are really great, and they're showing the opening scenes of, of the first Star Trek movie. And then they go and talk about the effects for Star Wars, and they show the effects for the... Star Wars The Force Awakens film coming out this Christmas, which, oh my God, it was done by the same freaking person. I don't understand where that argument even came into play. It made no sense to me whatsoever. So you're saying that you like Buck Rogers. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Craig made a, uh, Chris made a very good point. The reason I give it to Star Trek, obviously, is because we have seen the progression of the special effects over time from the 1960s to the 1980s with TNG to what Deep Space Nine was able to accomplish and then Voyager and Enterprise and then the reboots. And I won't even talk about the other movies. It's just, it's just a progression of special effects getting better and better. I can't – if I'm going to compare the first uh, iteration of Star Trek with the first iteration of Star Wars, I'm going to give the edge to Star Trek because, you know, yeah, they're a little campy. Um, but they are special effects. You see phasers. Star Wars, if you watch the original Star Wars, you're going to see in the screen uh, the matte images of the TIE fighter. You're gonna, you can actually see the squares as they go uh, you know, off in, into different directions. They worked with the technology they had at the time. It was good, but so was the Star Trek in the 60s with what they had to work at the same time. As a result, you can't compare special effects based on the decades that these films were made in. And I think that's what they tried to do with this particular um, part of this uh, debate. I really well, wish you had a strong feeling on the matter. Just a little bit. Yeah. I, 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 I have to say this. I think Dan is exactly right because even George Lucas went back and redid a lot of the special effects in episodes four, five, and six because he himself was unhappy with what it looked like. So he had – he, he got – not just a second shot at it, but eventually a third chance at it to try and bring it up to what he felt was the standard he was trying to deliver upon. Greedo shot first. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Actually, you bring up a good point, Chris, which I want to, which I'll, which I'll jump on real quick, and then I'll, and then I'll drop it. Is I will say also that uh, Michael Kuda and his wife and and their team did a phenomenal job at doing the same thing with the original series special effects. They went out and they did uh, they did tremendous work on all 79 original episodes to make it more modern special effects. Um, so i got to give my hats off to them. And I will give my hat off to George Lucas for doing what he did for the first three. But to me, this is a non-issue for this debate. I do have to say that when I go down to watch Star Wars at my television – I watched the original versions that were released in theaters in the 70s, matte lines and all, because they're the movies I remember, the movies I grew up with. Yeah, sorry to butt in. There are a lot of people that absolutely hate George Lucas for remaking the original the originals. Absolutely. 
So, and, and I don't know that that's a fair thing. And I agree with you. I don't know that it's fair to do that though, because that's the beauty of advancing technologies. You can go back and clean it up, make it better, make your vision as a, as as somebody who is creative in that business. You actually have a the amazing opportunity to go back and clear it up and make it something more than it was. And the cool part of it for me, you know, as, as a father of three young children going back and watching the, the shows, I mean, I remember watching the original star Wars with, with my oldest daughter for the first time. And she kind of laughed at it. She's like, Oh my God, are you serious? You know? And at one point she even said to me, she goes, you can almost see the strings holding the models, <laughs> you know? But you go back and you watch one of the, the remastered versions of it, and her, her opinion of that is completely different. She's like, whoa, look at that. But, but I will say this, Chris. I want to I wanna say one thing in regards to what you're saying. I agree with you 100%. If he went back and updated it based on the technology that, that he had available after the fact, I'm all for that. I think where a lot of people have the problem with Lucas is that he fundamentally tried to change the story. And we joked about it a second ago. The Han, the Han and Greedo scene, that is a scene that I think most people have a problem with because he changed it. That's Updating the, it is one thing. Changing it is completely different. And that is right there the number one complaint with all of the remastering that Lucas did is that one scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think Lucas's problem is he never knew when to stop. Is far, is far greater in, in the remastered version. But you didn't have the ability to do that in the previous iterations of it. So I don't fault him. I liked that explosion of the Death Star the first time I saw it in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when Praxis blew up at the beginning. (laughs) I I do want to make one... I have one huge issue with all of these, the the remastered explosions in uh, in, in Eps 4, 5, and 6, and you see it in in explosions in, in Star Trek as well. They have the... I'm trying to think of how to Phrase this: You have the, the explosion itself, and then you have a two-dimensional ring, yep. force <laughs> ring, that emanates out from the explosion. What yeah. the? How the <laughs> does that happen? Because Using the force. Because science. Yeah. <laughs> because it's sheet charged. I, I don't know. It, because it, in space, no one can hear you scream. It looks pretty, but you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it. That always rubbed me the wrong way. Well. Let's move on to point number five. Actually, Mojo.com, uh, or sorry, WatchMojo.com said that uh, Star Wars gets the edge in special effects. Star Wars. Looking for wars. <laughs> and point number five, heroes and villains. Which franchise has the greater cadre of heroes and the worst villains of all time? Chris, why don't we start with you? <laughs> um, again, this was a tougher category, I think, because in Star Wars, you have one principal villain. I mean, you, you it, really two, if you think about it, because you've got the Emperor and you've got Darth Vader. Okay, but you have a whole cast of heroes. You've got Luke, Yoda, Han, you know, the, the Jedi Order, Leia, you've got, you know, Chewbacca, you got, you know... All these different heroes running around, whereas in the Star War or Star Trek universe, you know they're 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 governed a lot by the Prime Directive, and so anytime that they come across first contact, they they apply the the rules of diplomacy 
to try and have an open dialogue before just going to guns up on everybody. You know, I think if we're talking heroes, you know, I think that Star Trek is just chock full of heroes. And they're all people from from a story writing standpoint that you can look up to and and maybe want to be uh you know to to rise up and be more like in your day-to-day lives here in the real world. But with regards to villains, I mean, for a story that only needed to have two, really just one principal bad guy to center the entire uh you know concept of evil around, I mean there is no more iconic figure in the world of evil than Darth Vader. I mean, prior to him, obviously finding that he still had good in him and all that kind of fun stuff. But I mean, that was just pure evil the way that they wrote that story. So heroes, I give it, you know, to, to start track villains. I got to give it to star wars. Okay. Uh, Dan, how about you? Well, I agree with Chris um, on the part where, Darth Vader is one of the most iconic characters in the history of entertainment. Um, there's probably nowhere on the planet that you can go that has any form of, of television or movie ability and say the words Darth Vader and they're going to know exactly what you mean. You can't, as, as much as I hate to say it, if you say Khan, it's, you're going to get a different reaction. So for villains, without a doubt, I think Star Wars, just for one character, wins that side of the debate. On the same note for heroes, Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, Spock, you can go on and on and on with the lists of of people that are recognizable names as heroes. Um, so it's kind of – I'm kind of along the same uh, line as Chris. Heroes, I think Star Trek because in Star Wars, you got, you got Han, you got Yoda, you got Ben Kenobi, and you got uh, Luke – and Leia, yeah. uh, you get a handful. Then you can get you can get into the minutia of all the different characters underneath them, and and you know uh, what's his name who flies the Millennium Falcon is like I don't even know what his name is. Um, but um, on the on Star Trek, you can go on and on because you've got again we go back to the same debate. You've got several series to, to pick from. You've got several movies to pick from. Um, so I would give the heroes to Star Trek. Okay, and uh, Craig, I guess that leaves you to wrap it up. I think this one again, I mean, for me, you start to look at it and it comes down to Kirk versus Khan. It comes down to Luke versus Vader. Um, I'm going to go back to the argument I had for the other category. Just due to the epic story that Star Wars tells, I'm going to give it a slight edge in, the, in this case. Wow. Okay. So that's, uh, we got a jerk. You mean. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have no response to that. <laughs> well, um, it's interesting that you all took the selecting the heroes and the villains separately for the most part, with the exception of you, Craig. WatchMojo.com actually said that Star Wars had the better heroes and villains, but I think there's something to the fact that Star Trek probably has better heroes overall, and certainly Star Wars has the most memorable villain of all time, perhaps in all of film history. So they. Uh, WatchMojo.com gave the entire shooting match to Star Wars. And by a quick mathematical computation, I see that Star Trek wins the day here by a score of 4-1-1. One, and one. That's uh, four for Trek, one for Star Wars, and one push. Because Dan was split on sci-fi themes. So congratulations, boys. 
you overall think Star Trek is better. I think you should give yourselves a round of applause. I think so, too. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice job. Nice job. Watch Mojo. Yeah. Special <laughs> effects. <laughs> special effects. You know, I think we all win with special effects because ILM does the vast majority of them for both Star Wars and That's Star true. Trek. So we all win. George Lucas I wins. Will, I will say this also, just a quick little caveat to that conversation. One of the things I like best about the prequels with Star Wars, and I'll, 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 I'll admit it, even though the acting is horrendous, the special effects in the third movie with the fight scenes, especially at the Lava Planet, I could watch those over and over and over again. They are flawless. I love those. Yeah, yeah the, the, the fight scenes with uh, especially Yoda, that yeah. you never expect to see Yoda in a saber fight, and the way they handled that extraordinarily well was one of the reasons I would watch the prequels again. Yeah, I, I I agree with that too, Craig. Although I did find it interesting that Watch Mojo called those fight scenes with Yoda cartoonish. I I kind yeah, of thought I they maybe were... see where they're coming from, but I just think from a, a cinematic spectacle, it was uh, quite impressive for me. I and one thing I do want to bring up the saber battle between Darth Maul, Qui Gon, crap, who was the third one? Obi Wan. Yeah, Obi Wan. Obi Wan. Thank you, Kenobi. He's kind of an important um, one. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, like a hey, lot. I had two out of three. Um, that that saber battle between I think choreographed and all time best sword fights that I've ever seen on, on in film. Huh. I um I, I would agree. I would agree. And in fact, uh, I, I I I'm sorry, but I do not remember who put it out there. But there was a uh, there was a uh, uh, a video that had, has been produced, and it talked about the top lightsaber duels of all time in in terms of where they fell into the franchise and that specific battle was ranked number one on that video as well too it's uh i think if you just go to youtube and pull up you know epic lightsaber battles it, it's right there so the one for me that's yeah. not epic is count dooku versus yoda because christopher lee's head is on someone else's <laughs> body and you've got a yeah. cgi yes. yoda yeah, it's I funny because remember- I I would have put the um I think the like I mentioned a moment ago I think the lightsaber battle in the third one is my favorite but that might be because of everything going on around them makes it more um, intense uh, maybe that's why I like it as as yeah. number one for me it might be because you know, and, and, and Anakin gets put down like a whiny bitch this. what's that so it might be because Anakin gets put down like a whiny bitch well there is that. <laughs> And we just earned the explicit tag. So. <laughs> no, we don't need it for that. Like, uh, when I saw episode two uh, with the Yoda lightsaber battle, I saw that in the uh, Mugar Omni Theater in Boston. And uh, I think Yoda was about 10 feet tall. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, that's part of what made it rather impressive for me. Well, boys, this is probably a good spot to, uh, to wrap it up. Um, I think it was a great discussion, even though Dan was involved in it. Um, oh. I know. Oh, sick burn, dude. Jeez. I know. Yeah, I know right? <laughs> uh, Craig and Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this. I look forward to many more Vegas conventions and many more discussions over corned beef hash um, where we work <laughs> ourselves into podcast episodes, guys. It was great to talk to you. You as well. Thank you. Guys. Yes, guys. Looking forward to seeing you again out there. And uh, I got some ideas for cosplay, so I'll be pulling you into it. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so, Dan, so ends our first roundtable experience. Uh, we'd absolutely like to thank Chris and Craig for coming on board the podcast. Not only are they great friends, but it was a, a great discussion. It was like we were all back in Vegas again at Hash House A Go Go, eating that delicious hash and and just batting ideas around. Yeah, I um, I don't really want to talk to them anymore. They're both jerks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was great to get together when they're they're uh, Craig's in down south and Chris is out in the west, and so we only get to see each other pretty much at Vegas. And this was my first trip to Vegas, and it was just like we were there again. We had a great discussion, and uh, I'm looking forward to either another one or just getting back out there to Vegas next year and uh, doing it all again. Sounds like we might need to do a midwinter classic in between because STLV 2016 is way too far away, man. We could do a Star Trek Space 1999 crossover type thing, maybe. <laughs> I was thinking because that would that would be on Mumphrey's, you know, intellectual level. Probably. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking we could, uh, since we referenced Buck Rogers earlier, right? We could do the uh, Space Vampire episode and focus squarely on that one. I think that would be My wonderful. Favorite episode of Buck Rogers. Aaron Gray could not have been any more awesome in that episode. Do people really have favorite episodes of Buck Rogers? I suppose that's a question. <laughs> Space Vampire one, yeah. <laughs> I, st I haven't seen it in 30 years, and it's still my favorite episode of Buck Rogers. Uh, little known fact, I actually own the entire series on DVD. Wow. It was available on Amazon, and it was, it was dirt cheap, man. So I'm like, I watched that growing up, so I watched it again. And I'm here to tell you it does not hold up. Howdy, Buck. And I still can't figure out Dr. Theopolis to save my life. It only got worse when they boarded the searcher and tried to be a blatant ripoff of Star Trek. And they I added that robot Crichton in season three, I think it was. Drawn a complete blank on that one, man. Wow. Yeah, I remember Hawkman, and that's about it. Yeah, Hawk came on the same season, I think. Yeah, he did. Uh, in the and it wasn't Avery earlier. Brooks. It wasn't that <laughs> Hawk. No, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> you know what we might have to do is we might have to organize an online watch party of Buck Rogers, the Space Vampire, for Trek Geeks listeners. We'll do like a Google Hangout or, or something like that. And we'll watch it, and it will be like a, a virtual Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Rift Tracks. Um, that is just off the top like of my it. head right now. Love it. Let's book it. Book it, Dano. <laughs> Let's, book it, Dano. Right, Murder one. one. Wrong show. <laughs> Wrong show. So, Dan, oh, well. for, um, for people who might want to suggest other things we could do, how might they be able to get in touch with us? Very good question, old partner. Um, actually, there are a few ways to, to get in touch old? with us. Old? Well, you know. You're no, older than I am. We've been friends for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, read the, read the great. Okay. Read the copy. <laughs> On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can send us a, a tweet. Uh, you can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can give us a call at 508-784-1701. If you want to send Bill a tweet that you don't want me to see, uh, you can send it to at TrekGeekBill, but he's probably going to share it anyway. Um, if you want to send me something, I won't share it with him, and you can send that to at DCDDS9. 
Um, please remember that any comments or messages you leave uh, may be used in a future episode. And we do also want to let you know that you can now join the official face group, uh, excuse me, Facebook group for Trek Geeks, which is called Camp Kittimer. Uh, you're welcome to share things you love about Trek, engage in conversation, and hey, you might even make some new friends. So uh, join the group by uh, just going to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. We'll let you right in and uh, let all your friends know about it too, because the more the merrier, right, old pal? Yes, old chum. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought for a second there you were going to call it a face group book. <laughs> My beer cap bottle cap. No, beer cover cap cover. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh. As a, oh, we have way too much fun doing this. And as usual, we, we want to thank our friends in 5-Year Mission. Seriously, go to 5yearmission.net, pony up some Quatloos, get yourself a copy of Spock's Brain, and listen to that. Because we want Fark and, and Mike and all those guys to be happy. And we want them to make more music. So if you go buy Spock's Brain, they're going to do that just for you. But truly, in all seriousness, we thank them very much for letting us use their music in every single episode of the Trek Geeks podcast. If you like the sound of what you hear musically, please go to 5yearmission.net and let's show them some support and love. Absolutely. Sound good? Yeah, I see. I agree. Mm -hmm. Old chunk. Yes. Old pal. Thank you, Mr. Executive Producer. <laughs> this is a good time to note the Trek Geeks podcast. Executive Producer Dan Davidson. <laughs> Lowly Engineer Bill Smith. Copyright 2015. <laughs> Dan Davidson Worldwide. Wide, wide, wide. <laughs> oh, you are not Chuck Huber. You cannot do that. I cannot. Only Chuck can do that. <laughs> Only Chuck can be Chuck. That's right. Well, anyway, we thank you so much for downloading and listening to episode 30. We uh, will be back with you next week in episode 31, which I think will probably be a very geekful episode, and we have no idea what we'll be talking about yet. Not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> we might throw in some Enterprise. We might, uh, who knows what we'll throw in. Maybe there will be a little Stump the Geek. Uh, oh, I know that that's going to be the toughest one I've ever had based on what happened last time. <clears throat> it just might. So you should uh -huh. prepare, young Padawan. <laughs> See what I did there? I'll see what you did there. And until episode 31, we hope you all live long and prosper and have a very safe Labor Day weekend. Bill, I like coconut. And then there's that dead air again, Dan. <laughs> yeah, so Can about that. Right? Can you do nothing right? I mean, we've had this conversation about dead air how many times, Bill? Seriously. If he'd only listen. Uh, exactly, right? Uh, no dead air today, Davidson. It's dramatic pause. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, do you, you even listen to your own podcast, Dan? I, I do. <laughs>
I, I, it's hard to because I have to listen to the other freaking jerk off that I have to sit with and talk to most of the time. See, but, Dan, Dan, I still don't understand why you got upset with me shorting your name to Dick. I just don't get it. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a small intro for when we start. I'll introduce the two boys on, and then uh, after they say hi, hello, sir, uh, I got a brief rundown of why we've decided to do this. Uh, and then we'll get right into it. There's no scripting for this. It's just roundtabling, like you said, Bill. All right. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Brave. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Well, Executive Producer. I'm, I'm just taking the reins for you, man. You've been busy. I know you've had a lot of, you know, you were just, you know, shoveling food down your gullet a few minutes ago, and I'm here to help you. I just want you to know I dropped my water cover cap cover. Beer cover cap cover? Well, I'm drinking water. All right, I'm drinking a Twisted Tree burp. Twisted Tree. I'm drinking a Twisted Tree, yeah. Bourbon bear. And, um, uh, Dan, you can lead the roundtable on the Borg, and could they assimilate Vader? I, I will take leading the second half of the roundtable on Star Trek versus Star Wars in the WatchMojo.com video. I might swear during that segment. <laughs> like I said, I, I was not kidding when I said if we need to tag this with explicit, I don't mind. When we get to the special effects portion of that, I'm not going to be very, very nice. <laughs> right. right. Hey, aren't you going to ask what, what Craig and I are drinking? I mean, Jesus, you guys talk about your drinks. I mean, We don't really care about our guests. Uh, guest no, relations okay. should do that. And he's okay. apparently changed to executive producer now. So he apparently can't do both jobs. So you guys are self-service. I got to tell you, Bill, you said we don't really care about our guests. At the exact same time that I was about to say the same exact thing. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and we wore the same shirts today. <laughs> Except they were different colors, so they weren't the same. All right, Dan. Back to you. All right. Whose pup was that? That was mine. I apologize. No, no need to apologize. I just asked it. I wish yep. I could show you the picture of my pups. They're on the bed behind me, and they're nose-to-nose staring each other down. That's funny. Funny. Chewy. Pissed at me. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, he goes video. There we go. There he goes. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? As I'm gonna be. All right. <clears throat> Make, Make it, it so. Here we go.